Blog Talk Radio. This is Clarence Cloverleaf, welcoming you to Cloverleaf Radio. Remember, you can always dial in at 646-716-4378. Be sure to watch your language, please, as we are an all-ages program. But we would be delighted if you would sign up for a Blog Talk Radio account, should you so desire, as it will keep you connected with us. And you can always download the newest episodes for free. All righty, we're back with another exciting edition of Cloverleaf Radio. I am the host of the host, Jimmy Falcon. I'm pretty sure my co-host is still at work right now, so she's going to be missing out. But I am so excited to be welcoming actor Robert Lozardo. How's it going, Robert? Yeah, I'm going. Uh, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I had a cup of coffee, so I'm going, 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 going. <laughs> How are you like doing today? Energizer Bunny. <laughs> Hey, you know, the caffeine, it helps. Yeah, I'm good, man. I've been up like five minutes. i got to work a night shift in a little bit. But, hey, I'm here. Very excited to be talking to you. Um, what made you want to be an actor in the first place? Was it something you'd always wanted to do? Um, no. Uh, it was the last thing on my mind, I think. I think that uh, it was happenstance. You know, in elementary, junior high school, I think it was, I had a, a, a English teacher who was uh, – very adamant about getting me involved in her drama class because of some of the uh, issues I faced in everyday life. I think some of the conflict I was dealing with, she felt would probably be more uh, constructively dealt with on stage rather than in the street, you know. So she got me involved in her uh, her drama class, and I started uh, being one of several other, you know, young men and women who... Uh, found himself up on stage and just it was a lot of fun you know it was, it was so much fun and for a while I got to just escape reality so that I think that's what put the bug in me at first and then she suggested that I auditioned for the high school for performing arts and uh, I had no desire to do that because it's just like I think each step I took was there was some sense of uh of trepidation because I did, could not understand what other people were witnessing I just knew it, it was fun and I enjoyed doing it. But the whole idea of competing or any kind of pipe dream of, of being in movies or any of this stuff seemed like about as far from me as, you know, the earth is from Pluto. Yeah, that's very true. I kind of, uh, I've never acted, so to say, but I kind of attribute it to professional wrestling, which I took part in for many years. Uh, you, you know, you get to become a different character. You get to say whatever you want. You don't have to be the real you. You can branch out not live life for a while, just, you know, everything you're saying is really awesome. Oh, right on. Yeah, it is, yeah, this whole concept of the real you is still elusive to me. I don't even know, not sure, on any given day, that can be any number of things. It's bizarre. You know, I don't know. I feel like uh, that reality or the idea of identity is just so, I don't know, it's just so, it's ethereal at times, you know. I mean, you, you, I, don't, I don't always subscribe to, to any of those belief systems that, you know, kind of contain the individual within a, a tribe, a, a belief system, all these things that, you know, identify people with others, I think can work, but I don't know if ultimately it's, for me, the answer. So maybe, yeah, there is something to be said about um, being given a script, a character to create, and then immersing yourself within that fantasy to the point where it doesn't even seem like a fantasy anymore. And then you think real thoughts, you have real feelings that follow those thoughts, and, you know, people believe what you're doing, and they're affected by it. Absolutely. And I uh, I always like to ask uh, my guests, 
you know, certain memories of working on films, and these two films are complete opposites. So what are your memories of working on Blue Streak and uh, Human Centipede 3? Uh, Blue Streak, let's see. Um, <laughs> okay, let me think. Martin Lawrence, oh, yeah. I think the most exciting part of that whole process, the creative process, was the auditioning for that film. I think Les Mayfield directed that movie, from what I remember. And uh, the whole, uh, there was this thing, it, it was cut out of the film, but originally I think the character I portrayed was supposed to collide with the, Martin Lawrence's character within a, the the uh, the police station bathroom. He was coming through a ventilation. He was crawling through the ceiling. He dropped down into a, 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 a bathroom stall. And I had escaped and my character had escaped, was running through the hallway, ran into the bathroom to hide, and we both met up inside. We were supposed to originally meet up in the stall. And I was, he was trying to convince me, dressed in a police uniform, that he was not a cop, and I thought he was. And so it was just kind of like Abbott Costello, Three Stooges kind of routine. I thought it was very funny. So I went in to read for this under the pretense of a situation, you know, an opportunity to work with Martin Lawrence, kind of in a more comedic-type capacity, kind of akin to what I did many years ago on a film called Moving with Richard Pryor. And uh, I had such a great experience with that. And he was so nice to me um, that I felt, well, here, here's another opportunity. And Les Mayfield, I think, as a director, saw that I could, I could maybe pull that off. And the difficulty was, was convincing Martin Lawrence that we could do something in the stall. I think he was concerned about you know, the space. He was a bit claustrophobic. And I think he expressed concerns early on that he didn't know if he was comfortable doing a scene like that with me. So it didn't. It was cut out of the film. So basically what you see now is the character running through the hallway, running, hiding in the bathroom, Martin Lawrence's character, you know, peeking behind the stall and then swinging the metal door and knocking the guy out against the wall. And then he's apprehended by the police, which was kind of yeah, disappointing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really funny because I remember right after that, it's, in, it's actually in a woman's restroom. Well, there's all the guy cops in there, and then the woman comes in, she's kind of like, hello. A lot of funny experiences. Yeah, and let's see, polar opposite, uh, the human centipede land, um, Tom Six. Uh, what I admired and still admire about Tom Six, I guess, is his uh, his no-bullshit approach, <laughs> no pun intended. But um, I, I find him to be, or found him to be, when we talked, radical in his thinking and when I read his script and saw his two films because prior to you know, a meeting with him on Skype to discuss my participation in the third installment of the franchise I had not seen the two movies I'd heard about you know Human Centipede and Part 2 but I had not seen any of them and he asked me politely to watch them and I did and uh, I was impressed with the first one a great deal uh, and the character development with Dieter Lasers, Dieter Lasers I think that's a Dieter Lasers character as the doctor I thought was interesting because he seemed to have compassion throughout the film here and there for his victims. I remember there's a scene that sticks out in my mind where he told uh, one of the, one of his victims or one of the people he had kidnapped or captured that he was sorry that the guy didn't fit before he killed him. So I thought, wow, that's nice. That's interesting. Uh, a villain or a, this, this, this uh, seemingly psychopath, sociopathic type of individual with a sense of feeling about, you know, someone else. And I thought that's a little bit different. So I, I, I was affected by it. The second one, I thought the second film was very extreme, obviously. And I, I could see the genius of that. Uh, I don't know if it, it motivated me as much as the first one did because it was you know, kind of different. Um, and then when I read the script, I thought, well, this could be something 
you know, very, very, uh, very controversial. And also, if 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 Tom stays true to form and what he described in terms of his vision, that this could also be a film that goes down goes down in history, kind of like Natural Born Killers. You know, this kind of satire. You know, putting up a big mirror to society to look at and see the ugly. You know, I guess the, bringing everybody down to the most, the lowest common denominator, and showing a, a kind of experience in prison. You know, and 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 revealing the the corruption and and how, you know, whether it's the warden or the inmates who stand on opposite ends of the pole, how what links them together in the way of the, the way of, of the, the human nature, the ugliness that, that human nature can can demonstrate, especially in a bleak circumstance like that. So I thought if he if he can communicate and authenticate the characters, all of them, then we might have a situation of learning and also entertainment that will stay with people for a long time. I don't know if he did that. When I watched the film at the screening I thought, well, that's not what I read, you know, and you know, who knows in the editing room what happened, who knows ultimately what the deciding factors were. I just felt that what I signed on to do and what manifested in terms of a product is very different, you know, but like, you know, I, I, all I can do is be responsible for the work. And I was grateful to work with, to be, you know, in a situation of creativity with him because he let us, what was cool about working with Tom was that regardless of the final product or the end result, he allowed all of us to experiment, to improvise and do whatever we felt within the, you know, within the context of the, of the work, you know, and I thought, well, this is nice. He wasn't, he, he, he allowed that whether he utilized it or not, it's, you know, that, that, that's something else, you know, whether, whether it ended up on the editing floor or not, you know, you can't control this stuff. All you can do is show up and do the work. And so at the end of the day, my conclusion and response to your question is it was, it was a very challenging an extreme opportunity for me, obviously very extreme given the, the nature of the material, to explore improvisation. And I was given some freedom for a period of time to do something uh, a little bit different, even though the mythos, the, you know, the whole prison kind of lessons in incarceration, you know, was sort of being locked up, it seems, forever in this kind of scenario. There was, you know, in that there was an opportunity to authenticate that experience in a way that I had never done before. It's just unfortunate that it didn't survive the final cut. I can tell you, I, I've seen the movie, I've seen them all, but I've seen the third one one time, right after it came out, like, last year or something. I still remember your character, and this is going to be hard for me to quote this scene on a G-rated show, but saying something along the lines, I'm not, I'm not going to rape you in your butthole, but I'm going to make a new hole in the soft part of your kidney. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, this, that movie, those movies are so crazy, and just that, that scene of yours and that quote just sticks out as yeah. Wow, this is really <laughs> yeah. There's a brutal, there's a brutal honesty that's present that I enjoy. That's not contrived, you know. In comparison to some of the uh, commercial, comparison to commercial mainstream entertainment, which you know has to get approval from the corporate before they can do anything. So, yeah, there's something to be said about the extreme nature of that type of, of Tom's type of you know movie making and what he's you know what he what he feels he needs to share with the rest of the world. I, I like the, you know, that he doesn't censor himself or he's censored. Well, you know, I would say he's, he, he's, he, he does censor his characters to some extent, but there's still something left where you can say, well, Robert, I remember this moment, you know, in the movie that was pretty extreme and affected me. So he, uh, he does, he's, he's, he's braver than most, I think, in terms of what he, what he builds and, and how he executes that, regardless of whatever anybody thinks. He doesn't seem to give a shit about it. He would give a crap about what anybody you know, thinks or feels about him. So I think that's that's commendable, and I can relate to that because I've had to approach, I guess, my career the same way, given the way I look. You know, to just kind of focus on the work and not on, 
you know, the superficial nature of things that, you know, I think which hinges a lot on, you know, what the business is about, you know, what people look like. If you look good, you speak well, then, you know, you're commercially viable. If you're not, then you're kind of consigned to the island of misfit toys and have to figure out a way to include you in the backdrop and authenticate or create, you know, reality, you know, that isn't always so pretty. But I think people, especially nowadays, they want to see things that are kind of high gloss, you know, and, and, and uh, kind of eye candy type. I think it's always been that way, but I think nowadays more than ever. Yeah, it's just typecasting. I mean, yeah, it's kind of sad because you're such a, you know, you're such an awesome guy. You seem like you're really nice and respectful. And, and then you get typecast as like the biker or the gangster just because you have a bunch of tats. Yeah. Kind of, you know, yeah. it's like for some reason society thinks tattoos mean evil. And that's, that's not true. How do you feel, though, in relationship? I mean, if you look at the timeline, right, from, like, say, the 1970s and 80s when I was first getting tattooed, and now where so many people from different walks of life are starting to express themselves or have been expressing themselves in the last decade, whether it be men, women, young women, young men from different walks of life and different professions, I'm seeing more and more of this. So you think there's still a gap between what entertainment does with that as opposed to the real experience of everyday life? Well, yeah. I think that uh, definitely, especially if you go back to like the 60s and the one really had tattoos unless you were in the Army or the Navy or something. It was where America was a lot more close-knit. You let your kids walk to school, you know, this and that. Now it's so many crazy people out there bombing and shooting and, you know, there's just people. Times have changed. Times have changed. I mean, you go back start of time to now and everything is eventually going to go and something's going to happen differently, and that's just how it has became in the 2010s, in my opinion. Yeah, well, maybe at some point they'll bridge that gap, and they'll, you know, at some point, whether it's corporate or the independent uh, production, will figure out a way to introduce character, a character or characters that have, you know, present themselves with illustrations and body art, and it's not the issue. It's, it's just something that's there like a piece of clothing, and it's looked at for a moment, and then you move on into whatever the... Uh, the exploration in terms of story, you know, and it's not, the, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a problem. It doesn't need to be explained. It doesn't, there's no apology necessary. It's just something that's there because it's become so commonplace. I think the more and more it shows up in everyday life, then maybe it may not be, it may not have to be the stigma that you've mentioned that follows it will just disappear in time because it's not present in everyday life. So people won't know, their viewing won't always understand, you know, why. Turn on the radio and people Come down to the wheels, what company? <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, people just stuff changes. But uh, regardless, I know I will be seeing you in about a month at Dark History Con. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so very much, Robert. And uh, I enjoyed. I enjoyed. Yeah, I just I say enjoy the conventions. It's a wonderful opportunity to meet the people and to, to check in. Uh, you know, and be reminded, uh, you know, and be inspired because you forget sometimes, you know, the impact you make in people's lives. And it's nice to, to talk to people about that. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to you and to also to be at the show. Uh, Brian Ward, I'm so grateful that he reached out to me and wants me to participate in the show. Absolutely, Robert. Thank you so very much. I look forward to seeing you at Dark History Con. And have a great night, sir. Best of luck in everything coming up. Thanks, Ian. You take care, man. Okay. Yeah, you too. Alrighty, everyone. Well, I will let you know the next episode. Of course, like I said, I don't have any scheduled upcoming because it, uh, I'm going out to Seattle, Washington, so I'm not going to be doing any shows on that trip. Probably any coming up after that or before that. 
but I will let everybody know when the next show is. And as always, thanks everyone for listening. Have a great night. <laughs>